Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. Uh, and I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we bring you guys every single Sunday at noon Eastern to bring you our facts analysis, let you know what's going on in the world, and uh, as of this week, tell you how the richest people in the world are deciding how you should be governed because you're just not getting it right. You're not giving them anywhere near enough power, and because of that, uh, the seas are going to boil and the world is going to end in a flaming disaster. Uh, because of great know, gnashing climate. of teeth and oh my <laughs> of course we're talking about the meeting at davos of the world economic forum which man um i'm so old <laughs> i'm so old that i remember when liberals would have been infuriated over the idea of a bunch of billionaires getting together to discuss how the world should change and what they should do to be part of that change and how they should encourage change in policy and trade and you know local governance and regulation i'm so old i remember when liberals would have been infuriated over this idea disgusted by it protesting it and just overly outraged over the idea of the richest people in the world deigning to tell the little guy how to live his life Except now, it's like the Met Gala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the greatest thing ever. We owe everything to these rich people who all flew their private jets out to Davos to tell us how to live our lives and how you owning an SUV is an affront to mankind itself. Well, that sounds awfully alarming. My, my, my. <laughs> Of course, it was nothing more than just the masturbatory uh, trappings of weird eco-freaks because we had uh, such great incidences like Al Gore losing his mind and basically proving that all of this is just theater, but not only theater, like the most fear-mongery theater that you could ever imagine. Here's Al Gore giving a speech at the World Economic Forum this week. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had. And we need have had and we need to make some. I want to place. So like I I was on actually I was entirely unaware 
that the seas were boiling. The seas are boiling. The rivers are running red as of blood. Like massive famines are sweeping the land. Dogs and cats are living together. <laughs> the thing about all of this is that none of this is true. It's like we, right. the, the reality of climate change, which I've reiterated before, is the world is simply warming back to baseline after the little ice age that lasted from about 1350 to 18 something. It is still not as warm on Earth as it was during either the medieval warm period when all the cathedrals were built or during, during the Roman warm period, which was the height of the Roman Empire. We know this because of all of the historical accounts of travelers in those areas from those time periods, none of them traveling through areas today where there are receding glaciers, none of them mention glaciers. They go, oh, mm -hmm. we travel from here to here. And we didn't, it's like, well, they would have had to cross a giant glacier. Glaciers didn't exist then. As far as serious proof, as these glaciers melt in Europe and in North America, uh, in Alaska is one, as the Men I think it's the Mendenhall Glacier, but there's uh, there are glaciers in Alaska that as they melt, and there are glaciers in the Alps that as they melt, we are finding beneath them the remains of forests. Forests that were subsumed by this glaciation. And the forest remains, the wood remains underneath these glaciers is carbon dated to the time of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. That's not that long ago. And that means that this massive, basically, climate crash happened, which we it is around 1350. And this is also backed up by evidence on tree rings, where all the tree rings, like basically growth on your trees in Europe, pretty much stopped from about 1350 to around 1500. It was a giant, basically little, it was. it is called the Little Ice Age. It's a well-established fact. We are currently just warming back to baseline, which means that all of the, everything he says is nonsense. It's all designed as this, to scare people and to be this terrifying reality that you can't, that means you can't argue with it because they're putting themselves in a position where they are just trying to save the planet. But the reality is, if they were true, if this was really true, if what Al Gore is saying, what he truly believed, then there would have to be, there would be, they would be right now making extremely pragmatic and terrifying triage. We'd be in a triage situation. Mm -hmm. He says all these climate refugees, uh, if what he's saying is true, and the seas are boiling, the rivers are running as blood, and dogs and cats are sleeping together, and we are on the verge of apocalypse true it does would justify the incredible authoritarian measures that he is suggesting but it also would mean you'd basically have to say everyone in africa is going to die and we have to not care we do not have a we don't have enough resources everyone there are, like there are going to be no climate refugees you'll be shot at the border because our resources are about to get so scarce that we can't we can't accept it. It's like these same people are 100% about we have to reduce the global population because it is unsustainable and leading us towards apocalypse, but also we have to take in millions of refugees. That doesn't make sense. You would, If you were really realistic, you, you would say, I am sorry, but if you are a climate refugee, you can't come here. You have to go die somewhere else because our population is too is too great. And the people here 
in the people in all these places, we're going to control them with an authoritarian with authoritarian to control to make sure the you know to keep industry low to reverse the climate blah 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 but that would preclude mass immigration the fact that they want mass immigration from the third world into european and western countries but at the same time claim they want to decrease the global population blah 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 it means that all of this is is being presented in bad faith it is a bad faith argument that is designed to scare people so they can implement something that is not about climate change in the slightest because their actions do not reflect what you, the actions you would take if you believed what you were saying. I mean, if you believed this, you yeah. would be able to totally and completely rationalize mm -hmm. military action against China. Oh, we'd be nuking China tomorrow. We'd be like every industrial center in China has to get nuked and then the entire country has to be quarantined and then they will all just have to starve to death and die because that's the only way we can save the planet. Well, and, and, and we would be justified. Oh my gosh, absolutely, according to them. We absolutely right. would be justified. It's like the, the carbon, if the, look, here's a good question. People in the United Kingdom are all concerned about climate change and oh, what can the United Kingdom do? The United Kingdom accounts for 2% of global carbon emissions. It could sink entirely into the sea tomorrow and not make a dent in global climate emissions. China and India account for, I think it's something like 60%, but there is no discussion of limiting China and India. It is only ever about destroying the industry in Europe and the United States. Which, fascinatingly enough, uh, seems to align very well uh, with mandating state control yeah. over industry. And it also seems to align very well with ensuring that all manufacturing and all uh, basically, you know, I don't know, dirty industry uh, would be exported to areas like India and China, which appears to be exactly what everybody wants. That's the weirdest thing is Remember, this is a group of the richest people and policymakers in the world, all of whom regularly export industry and manufacturing to places like China, where or anywhere laws in the third world, exist. really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you think about it, it's anywhere in the third world is where they want to send this stuff because it's cheaper. They want, and remember, these people are also equity focused. They're real. I think at the core of this is the West is rich, the third world is poor, we need to import half of their population to the West so we can redistribute the, wealth, the West's wealth. We also need to deindustrialize the West so we can industrialize the third world and basically level the whole global playing field. The other goal, the other benefit that that would have is you now can basically rule this chaotic mess that you've created without the you would essentially cut all nationalism off at its knees and you would only have um, this sort of isolated individualism that leaves people completely unable to build uh, a movement to oppose you or, or advance their own interests. I think that's the true goal of this is make it impossible pe for people to advance their own interests by making them so atomized and spread out and weak that you can essentially have your power totally secured. The goal of this is to secure power. It's not even to destroy the world. It's not even to destroy the West. The goal is to make it impossible to oppose their hegemony. And then I, it's like, imagine, if the Democrats actually achieved, say, 
complete electoral con- uh, control in the United States, where they are never in danger of losing another election because they have subverted voting and they've shipped in enough immigrants that there can be no oppositional voting bloc. I think you'd see the border border controls overnight. You'd see the drug problem get tamped down. You, all these problems would suddenly get solved because the, they're only problems because they're problems aimed at driving a chaos in the United States so that these authoritarian measures of, and controls can be advanced. Well, and, you know, it, it's funny because you hear a data point like, oh, the, the heating is equivalent to the detonation of what was it, 600 uh, Hiroshima style um, atomic bombs. Right. Every day. Oh but, boy, it sounds. But awful. what's what's the part? Well, you say something. You, you say something that's in, as insane as that. I mean, we're talking, you know, thermonuclear device, right? Yeah. You say something as incendiary as that. But what's the thing that he gives all of the time to in his discussion? What was the part that would be the main point that he wanted to make? It wasn't about the seas boiling and all this other nonsense. It was. Look at the mean xenophobia that's coming from climate refugees. Climate refugees. Which, again, you think about, it's like, you would say, ah, all of this xenophobia is absolutely in our interest because it will make saying no to these people that, it will make culling the herd that much easier. We'll We'll take a population that's essentially our own, say, that whatever currently is here is here and everybody else needs to go away. But the, the, the xenophobia is what they should be capitalizing on, but they're not. Right. So, but that shows the focus here, right? Like the, exactly. this is, this is the bad faith that is the world economic forum. And, and to that extent, I don't think any of these people here, like any of the people that are gathering at Davos, they don't believe any of it. This is the public face, everyone. Agreed. This is what they allow on TV. This is the, these are the videos that they allow to get out on the internet about what they're talking about. And they yeah. don't believe a single bit of it. Most of these people run massive industries. Of course. And and again, if you think of like their think of their actions, they all flew to Davos on private jets. Mm-hmm. If these people were serious, they would have done this via Zoom. Yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah, <laughs> to, to extend on that, a massive gathering of people, the same people who still act like COVID matters. Right. To include like the CEO of Pfizer. Again, it's this, this and this stuff makes me, this is what makes me a crazy conspiracy theorist. So I'm like, I just, like the CEO of Pfizer attended Davos? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, like, I don't think um, it, it it is a very funny situation to have to sit there and see how much the left wants to make the right seem like they're crazy for being suspicious of a bunch of billionaires getting together and trying to make policy decisions. Yeah, it is. Right. It is simply fascinating that there are Democrats who in their lifetime talked about the evils of big pharma, the evils of big business, the evils of the rich, you know, and all of the anti-capitalist movements are all sitting there 
while people on the right wing are like, yeah, I don't really like the idea of all these billionaires getting together and trying to decide how the world should be run. Um, you know, all led by uh, by Klaus Schwab, who says you will own nothing and you will be happy. And then all of these liberals are going, it's so great. It's so wonderful. I'm, I just love these billionaires. And so obviously it's always been, I love these billionaires because they, because I believe that they're going to push forward my communist dream. Yay. Because right. The richest people on the planet are totally going to be like, I'll give up all of my wealth to the state. Yeah. That's not going to happen. It's all, it is <laughs> somehow this is all beneficial to these people. It's like people that have gotten to the point where they are worth a billion dollars. A lot of the, you know, people who are billionaires, you don't become a billionaire by without being extremely pragmatic and focusing on your own wealth creation. It mm -hmm. just doesn't happen. And so then I look at people at Davos and go, well, if those people are behind climate change, then somehow it is massively beneficial for them to be behind it. Yeah, it allows you to stifle competition. You can't have, there's not going to be a new competitive industry because the regulations, uh, gatekeep basically the entire market um you've already you know you're already there you already ha have been grandfathered in you know you don't have to meet this that or the other thing or you have enough money um that you can put the new scrubber in or what the hell ever to be fair like all of this all of this climate nonsense ecological nonsense to me is 100 percent just the ability to gatekeep competition now um there is uh, something that that Eric's bringing up here, um, which was the uh, Greta Thunberg being uh, a staged arrest in Germany, but then being at right. Davos the next day. Well, that that's what's funny, right? Is there was a video that was that went viral this week where Greta Thunberg is in Germany. So what's happening in Germany is there's an area that a that the German government has decided to mine for coal, and. The reality of the situation is this was something that had been discussed for quite a while, and the residents of the area that the German government wanted to clear were paid to relocate, so then they could turn this area into a coal mine. And then a bunch of you know eco-freaks and whatever decided to get together, and they staged a protest, and they decided that they were going to take over this area, and they weren't going to allow this evil, terrible, bad coal mining to occur. And part of that protest, of course, they had Greta Thunberg, who needs to try to make herself relevant again because shouting at the United Nations uh, wasn't good enough for you know super rich Swedish girl who you know, everybody knows has obviously some mental issues. Um, but she gets quote arrested. There's a viral video of German police having to carry her by her arms and legs out of this protest. Oh, she's such a hero standing up against the man. Now there was another video where it shows her and those police officers all smiling and talking just off. Yeah. Camera because it was all bullshit and it was all staged. 
And then she goes to Davos and then she's there to be, you know, the little darling of the billionaire class because she's going to convince all the idiots in the West that it's really truly a good thing for you to give up your individual property and your rights to the billionaire elite because they know what's best for you. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Giving up your rights is truly what will save the world. That's that is what these people believe. Crazily <laughs> yeah. enough, you're in the way. Don't you understand that you're just in the way? Your want to have a family, your want to have your own individual property, your want to be able to make your decisions is getting in the way of their utopia. Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, mean that's... there's a reason why this is every dystopian sci-fi novel. Like it, it is always always the villain that believes that they're saving everyone else. If you would just shut up and do what you're told and stop having all these pesky thoughts about like liberty and independence, those get in the way of, you know, truly, you know, saving, saving the planet from themselves. These dumb people and their idiots don't listen to the experts, you know, the billionaires. Right. And don't tell me that they don't think that they're experts. I mean, we have literally a software guy who's lecturing us about vaccines and we're supposed to take him as an expert. Yeah, that seems seems silly. Now, a couple of other things that we're going to uh, talk about, you know, further on in the program, of course, is Atlanta's on fire, which I'm sure has at least some climate footprint. You know, there's got to be a carbon footprint there. But more classified documents being found at Biden's house, something very strange involving rent. Um, and other ways, uh, that you're going to be investigated by the FBI for having the temerity of questioning the elites. Um, and that'll Yay. be the next part that we kind of move into because it does sort of dovetail, uh, into what we're talking about here is there's, you, you had brought this up uh, on our call yesterday, Alan, there's apparently a, an interesting piece of legislation. I believe it's being, is it being presented by, I think it's Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, I'll yes. have to double check. Uh, but yeah, there's an interesting piece of legislation that's being released um, involving uh, what you can and can't say about people of color. Oh, yeah. Of color, so, huh? yeah, let me let me grab the article real quick here. Um, so this comes from National Conservative and it's yeah, it's the. It's a bill that criminalizes criticism of any, quote, non-white person. Yes, so it is the Leading Against White Supremacy Act of 2023. Also known as House Bill 61. Yes, and its yeah. stated goal is to prevent and prosecute white supremacy inspired hate crime and conspiracy to commit white supremacy inspired hate crime and to amend Title 18 U.S. States Code to expand the scope of hate crimes. I've actually pulled up the, um, the bill here so I can read off some wonderful little excerpts from this bill that has been proposed by a sitting U.S. congressman. Uh, in general, this uh, the goal of this is a person engages in white supremacy inspired hate crime when white supremacy ideology has motivated motivated the planning development preparation or perpetration of actions that constitute a crime or were undertaken in furtherance of activity that if effectuated would have constituted a crime well that means 
you're involved in a white supremacy inspired hate crime if if the ideology has motivated any crime now that seems like a very broad that any crime can be considered white supremacy if they say that you've been motivated by it well that's one aspect the other aspect is it it makes conspiracy to commit a hate crime which means um it be- is between two or more persons one of whom engaged in planning development preparation or perpetration of a white supremacy inspired hate crime and at least one who published material advancing white supremacy white supremacist right and white supremacy white supremacist ideology antagonism based on quote replacement theory or hate speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person so if you if someone commits a crime and they can, and they can then say that that person was inspired by someone who advanced white supremacy ideology which they literally claim is everything antagonism based on replacement theory which the left acknowledges is true or hate speech that vilifies hate speech that is directed against any non-white person or group which is any criticism of non-whites would fall under that group you've now committed a hate crime and this material was published on could be published on a social media platforms or by other means or by other means of publication with the quote likelihood that it would be viewed by persons who are predisposed to engaging in any action in furtherance of white supremacy or who are susceptible of being encouraged so like this show for example this show would be considered white probably white supremacy white supremacist ideology by these people because we talk about and talk about border security which falls under antagonism based on replacement theory mm-hmm. if someone commits a crime against a or if a non-white person reports that they are victim of a crime and a line can be drawn between the supposed perpetrator of that crime and who was simply online you could easily you can based on the wording of this it is we would be held liable of conspiracy to commit a hate crime because we were publishing information on the internet and we were being irresponsible because there are people who are susceptible to being encouraged to take action based on antagonism based on replacement theory and so we don't even have to have any connection with someone that supposedly commits a crime against a non-white person if we are simply publishing material in on the internet we are not to, we are to have to take responsibility that someone may be susceptible to being encouraged to make it to do a crime it's absolutely nonsense and the essentially reality. what it does is it makes it it makes it it's so broad and vague and because their definitions of white supremacy, et cetera, is so broad and vague. Any crime against a non-white person could probably be found to have been inspired by quote, white supremacist ideology. If let's say, let's take for example, the, oh, give me any any high profile, like, like the Kyle Rittenhouse. That's a good example. Okay. Kyle Rittenhouse, say is is in the street and he's in the he's there because there's been riots 
And he's been told by people that advocate, quote, what, what their definition would say is white supremacy, that there are riots in his town. And he's out there and he shot some people. And that was psychically damaging to people of color. Mm -hmm. Well, now he's committed a hate crime. Anybody that he followed on social media could be considered part of a conspiracy hate crime. If I have, let's say I have a thousand Twitter followers, or let's say I'm Donald Trump. Let's say I'm Donald Trump. And I have a huge following of Twitter, Twitter people. And one of those people that follows me on Twitter gets in a car accident with a person of color. Mm -hmm. That would be considered violence against a person of color. And because that person follows Donald Trump on Twitter, they could then say, well, Donald Trump has said things about border security. That falls under antagonism based on replacement theory. So now Donald Trump and this person are part of a conspiracy to commit a hate crime against a person of color. Right. Or it even essentially more establishes a legal press, a legal framework in which any opposition to the Democrat Party or any left wing activist can then be wrapped up in federal investigations. And so and I mean, with media companies, anyway, it can they can basically tie up anybody in federal investigations with the vague wording of this text. The department, and here's another good quote, the Department of Justice shall have the authority to investigate, intercede, and undertake other actions that it deems necessary and appropriate to interdict, mitigate, and prevent such actions from culminating in violent activity. Well, should the Department of Justice shut down our show? Because our show talks about antagonism based on replacement theory, or any of these other things that are in, under this vague definition of white supremacy, and by this bill, the department shall have the authority to interdict actions that might culminate, that may culminate in violent activity. So if a bunch of Democrat activists say, uh, these guys are talking about how the U.S. border is basically wide open and how that's a problem, that's antagonism based on racial, on uh, replacement theory. Uh, somebody, a susceptible person could be inspired to attack a poor defenseless person of color therefore that needs to be shut down and so we can prevent those horrible attacks that we might not even have happened against people of color right well and and uh the i mean in addition to that i mean it, it could just be something as simple as you know somebody holds you know a rally or a candidate talks about border security or really any of this. Let's say, let's say that they just say something about like BLM or anything like that. Yeah. And yeah. then some person of color, you know, paid very handsomely, I'm sure by the Democrat party goes on television and says that their feels were hurt and that's violence. Yeah. Um, right. I don't know, you know, we're, These are the same people that say speech is violence. Right. So if my speech is violence, then if I speak out against say black lives matter, burning down a town, then that is violence against people of color. And not only have I now committed a hate crime, because that was in furtherance of white supremacist ideology, every single person that I, that I follow on Twitter is now potentially could have unknowingly been, been read, making me, because I'm, I'm susceptible, because I'm white, I'm susceptible <laughs> to hearing these arguments about white supremacy. So everyone I follow on Twitter is now part of, could now be investigated by the FBI. Could now, and this is the thing, are they going to be? Probably not, but they could be. The sword of Damocles is now hanging over everyone's head, or if this passes, the sword of Damocles would be hanging over everyone's head, which is, I had a conversation with someone about the border. If they crack under pressure saying, 
if they're sitting in an FBI gulag somewhere and they're saying, who told you to, who radicalized you? And they go, I don't know. I was talking to my friend about the border and he made some really good points. Then the FBI would come and investigate me and wrap me up for conspiracy to commit a hate crime. Because, right. And the crime was simply was simply speech violence against a non-white person. And that's, you have to understand that the actual point of this legislation isn't to have like a bunch of people thrown in jail. It's to open up the ability for federal authorities to investigate their political enemies. Because, I mean, right. we've seen this in practice. Look at everything that they've done against Donald Trump. Um, they start The Russia hoax was never meant to actually jail Trump. Nobody ever thought it was going to do that. It was just the predicate used for the Democrats to basically have access to any amount of information to include the fact that like, hey, I mean, what, what's what's the latest thing now? His taxes. Um, you know, they, they, they got a hold of his tax information, his business information. They're doing all of this. Anyone in his circle has been investigated or, or jailed or charged. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's the same thing. Like Steve Bannon, uh, was, uh, given a prison sentence, mm -hmm. you know, and, and let's just be honest, it's for merely existing. And that's the right. whole point of it. Now, I do know, I do see some comments where it's like, well, it's going to be dead on arrival because it's a no, Republican no, it house. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter if it's going to be dead on arrival. What matters is that there is an entire political party that is pursuing actions across the board at the state and federal level in furtherance of goals exactly like this. The fact well, that there are people in Congress that are promoting things like this that would basically be designed to destroy free speech and make opposition to the Democrat Party criminal, that is the story that I focus on. I don't care that it's going to be dead on arrival. The fact that anyone is even suggesting it almost to me tells me that there might be no political solution, or at least tells me that the threat we are under is absolutely real and extreme. Because yeah, it doesn't pass now. Does anybody right. like? Let's say, let's say it passes and it goes to the Supreme Court. We know at least a handful of judges will absolutely agree with this. And I'm not so sure about some of the others. How many well, of these Supreme Court justices would actually stick their neck out to stop something like this that would destroy free speech? If Antifa is, if Antifa is stalking their homes, if they can't rely on police protection because those police are being directed away by Democrat activists in the government, Mm -hmm. How many Supreme Court justices would actually oppose this? It's like, we have to remember, sure, this is dead on arrival. But at the same time, the normal mechanisms that would prevent something like this, that would keep something like this dead on arrival, are also being intentionally undermined at the same time. It's not simply that this bill is being proposed. It's that this bill is being proposed and they're intimidating the Supreme Court. And they're intimidating a bunch of Republican lawmakers. Mm -hmm. And it's this broad spectrum pressure campaign, all entirely aimed at reducing the ability of the system to stop something like this. Well, and prepare yourselves, everyone, because what you need to understand is like, well, and that's the thing to to Eric's point. He's the one that said it's dead on arrival. It's dead on arrival in this Congress, like Alan for was now. just saying, in this Congress for now. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there was another comment too. It's like, well, you know, the first amendment clearly states X. 
Yeah. True. The First Amendment states that the government can't suppress people's speech. May True. I introduce you to the Twitter files where the U.S. government was absolutely suppressing people's speech. And there wasn't right. a single person anywhere in that chain of custody that said, oh, this isn't right. It violates the Constitution. They happily went along with it. Then it got yeah. revealed. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but ain't shit done about it. I, What's and happening? I, and, and especially, I don't have faith that anything will be done about it. Right. So, like, forgive me for being skeptical. Like, I, look, I like the Constitution, obviously, but at this point, it's only as good as it's enforced. And it's exactly. not enforced. It's a useless document because nobody has the balls to enforce it. Exactly. So, and, uh, and even then, even if someone had the balls to enforce it, the the Department of Justice is so, so thoroughly compromised I don't have faith that that would even work. Yeah. Like the the constitution's great, but our ability to enforce the constitution has been quietly degraded out from under our feet. The only yeah. thing protecting the constitution now, I would say is state governments and even then the vast majority of state governments, I don't think actually would have the ability to uh, from a on the political capital side to oppose something like that. Let's say something like this passes at the federal level. States should then go, uh, no, our state is going to protect our citizens and make sure that they have a freedom of speech. And that would then cause a big fight. And mm -hmm. I don't think the GOP, I don't think state level governments, I'm very skeptical that they would have the resources and political capital to feel to win that fight. I mean, they probably could win that fight, but I don't think they would. I think they would be too scared to try. Well, and at one least other thing many would, and I think some some would stop it, and then hopefully others would join on. But I feel we could very easily wake up one day in a very different situation, and mm -hmm. that is, is then that is what is so dangerous about the current times, is that stuff like this could quietly get passed, even let's say at the state level. Let's say in California, they pass mm -hmm. something like this. What do we all do? Do we just look at California and go, sucks to be them. They don't have free speech anymore. When we should be, I mean, that would be a case for extreme national outrage. That should be a problem. But I think that just underlies the, the, the challenge that we face is that this stuff is going to happen in places like California. It's going to happen in places like Washington. It's going to happen anywhere the Democrats have control of a state legislature. They're going to be pushing stuff exactly like this through that criminalizes hate speech in the name of combating white supremacy. And the federal government is not going to step in and tell them, tell them it's wrong. It's like, right. and, if and, it goes to the Supreme, here'd be the good question. Let's say it goes to the Supreme Court and let's say the Supreme Court strikes something like this down. Let's say they introduce this, a bill like this in California and it goes to Supreme Court, Supreme Court strikes it down. And then California just keeps going, doesn't get yeah. rid of the law, keeps enforcing it. What's the recourse? It's it, we're rapidly getting in territory that no one has ever really wargamed before because the entire system was based on essentially the everyone's operating in good faith. Right. Right. No, and that's exactly it. And, and I, I think that that's the point. Now, to give you guys the reality of how this is going to end up being presented uh, and back to the comment that this is dead on arrival. Sure. 
And that might be exactly why it's written the way it's written. By the way, Sheila Jackson Lee at the same time also submitted a House bill on reparations. So understand that this bill package, the entire point of it was it was submitted, which, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, Why wouldn't you have submitted any of this legislation when you were in control of Congress? Why would you have not? Like all of Congress, you had a tie-breaking vote with the vice president, Kamala Harris. You had majority in the House of Representatives. So why wouldn't you have submitted this then when it would have absolutely passed through with like zero problems? Well, that's easy because this is political gamesmanship. It is still scary because now the text is there and the text can be taken. It can be cribbed. It can be you know redone. But the point of this is we're going to submit this completely asinine law that really reads like, hey, here's how we're going to punish our political adversaries and be able to jail them and investigate them using a corrupt FBI that works entirely for the Democrat National Committee. But the reality is, is that she's going to shove these things through. So the Republican House votes it down, and then they all get to scream about how racist the Republicans are, how the Republican Party just hates black and brown bodies. And the right. problem I've with seen, that- mm-hmm. I've already seen articles like that. It's like, you know, the Republicans, and they just love white supremacy so much, which is why they're so outraged at this bill. Well, and the the greater problem that we have to face when we look at things like that is there are absolutely dumb squishes in the GOP that still fall for this crap. They -hmm. keep getting called racists and white supremacists and they, you know, wring their hands at their liberal cocktail parties in New York. And then they get all butt blasted and they start trying to lobby with their friends and be like, just let Sheila Jackson Lee's law pass because I'm tired of people calling me a racist. Yeah, that absolutely happens. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like Eric's, you know, pointing out like, well, this would also violate the 10th Amendment and the Fifth Amendment. Dude, the TSA violates your Fifth Amendment and that's not going anywhere. So spare me. No offense. Exactly. <laughs> like, every time I fly, I basically get a cavity sh- search from the uh, courtesy of the United States government for the uh, crime of wanting to get on a privately run airplane. Uh, it's so absolutely ridiculous. I, you don't have a Fifth Amendment. <laughs> what's abs- what The thing about TSA that is absolutely infuriating is it's, a, it's completely ridiculous and unnecessary. And can you ever see it going away? Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, they're just going it, to... It, it, and... They, it's so value. It's so valuable to the people to supply it. It's like they have this little machine where they wipe stuff down and then put it in this machine and then put this canister on it and it checks for explosive residue. It's like I bet that machine's ten thousand dollars. I bet each one of these canisters of aerosol de- of aerosol bomb detection material. That's probably like a hundred bucks each. Somebody people are making too much money off of grift involving increasing the ever increasing the technology and ability of the TSA. It's like the whole thing's just a money grab at this point. Nothing about it's going to make us safer, but we can spend a lot of money to a lot of people with political connections uh, on the TSA, which again is why it's never going away. By the way, I had a little bit of a brain fart. I get it. Like fifth amendment self-incrimination that I was I was speaking on behalf of the fourth amendment uh, being, you know, uh, unlawful search and seizure, but doesn't matter. The point is, is I, I'm, I'm not going to continue down the road of it. It's great 
to understand what the constitutional amendments are and what they stand for, uh, for your rights, it's even better when they're actually enforced. And I'm not trying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a massive downer here, but this is something that needs to be focused on. If you, if, if you are a huge fan of your constitutional rights and you truly believe that the, the, the powers that be the Republican party or whomever you want to name is responsible for protecting your rights, then you need to start asking yourself how come they've been so eroded. The second amendment says I have the right to bear arms yet. I can't even buy a pistol brace now because some regulation has like, if I own one right now, some Mm -hmm. regulation has made me a felon overnight. Where the, where was the constitution? Everyone, why didn't the constitution come running out and like, put its arms up and stop the passage of this horrific regulation. It didn't. It simply right. didn't happen. Where, why, why didn't the constitution come out, you know, and, and throw its bat signal in the air and then come swooping down when the government was investigating a political candidate? It mm-hmm. didn't. And the reason why is none of our elected officials empowered it to do so because they were afraid. And then at the same time, none of the regular people in America did anything to stop it. And if they did, that government, Republican and Democrat both, likely would have called them terrorists for doing so. Of course. So, you know, that's the problem. Like, yeah, do do we need people that are going to come in and, and make these great points and defend all of this? Yeah, 100%. I would love to see those. I I would love to see the Constitution of the United States actually be enforced. I think that that would be fantastic. And I wait for the day that I actually see it work. Yeah. You know, so, but <clears throat> in addition to that, speaking of laws that aren't going to be enforced... um we're not going to spend too much time on this because it's just it's more business (laughs) i hate to say it this way but it's more business as usual out of the biden administration uh but even more classified documents were found uh like yesterday uh some of which came from his senate career which i know some people might be like uh okay I, I need you to understand. First of all, him having classified documents as the vice president was weird enough, but you can kind of maybe understand it because, you know, the vice president has a residence at the Naval Observatory. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm almost certain that the vice president of the United States has a secured compartmentalized intelligence facility or SCIF um, in the Naval Observatory uh, residency that would make sense being part of the executive branch, uh, where classified briefings can happen. And there is entirely a possibility that members of the executive branch have the capabilities of transferring and, and fair, like basically carrying classified documents because it may be necessary, uh, for the, um, for them to conduct their jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're a Senator, and uh, Ted Cruz actually came out and said this. He's been a senator for a number of years, and he has received classified briefings before. Those are all conducted in the basement of the Capitol building where their skiff is located. But you are not allowed to take any of that material out. 
a senator does not have the ability of carrying classified documents out of that skiff in the Capitol. So that predicates the question, how the hell does Joe Biden have classified documents in his possession from when he was a senator? Why in why there's zero reason that explains why a senator would have copies of classified documents? It's a very good question. Because they don't have carrying or dissemination authority. They only have oversight authority. You need to understand that the Congress has oversight authority. They have the ability to read and review as part of their daily duties, you know, to understand their aspect of oversight. They don't have the ability, the executive branch does because it needs to under its auspices of, of its own, you know, operations. Mm-hmm. But the legislative branch does not have the ability to just carry around classified documents. There's no reason for that to occur. Right. So he was probably selling them. <laughs> he was probably selling access to it. And in fact, we actually have a fun little data point that suggests that might be exactly what happened. Part of this investigation has led people to discover that Hunter Biden in a background check form from 2017 claimed that he was renting the Delaware residence that is owned actually by Joe Biden. He said he was renting Joe Biden's Delaware home, which is worth around $2 million. And in renting it, he was renting it for $49,500, basically $50,000. Every single month, that was his rental payment, which is, in, in well, first of all, That's it's just ridiculous. an insane amount of money. But it's an insane amount of money for a $2 million property. That's $600,000 a year to rent a $2 million property. That, by the way, it's his, it's his father's home. That's money laundering. Like, There's no explanation for that other than they're money laundering. And the best part, to your point of it being money laundering, it's exactly, exactly the amount of money that we know was being given to Hunter Biden for his dealings with the Chinese um, Chinese state-owned energy firm, CEFC. Wow. Imagine so it looks like we found the 10% for the big guy. That's how they did it. So the way for transferring money from the Chinese government to Joe Biden, because that's what they purchased, they purchased his influence when he was the vice president of the United States. The way of collecting that money is they give money to Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden then pays that money in rent to Joe Biden, which makes zero sense. What father charges their son $50,000 a month in rent? That's exactly how you do it. That's how you laundered the money. Mm-hmm. Now, is anything going to be done about it? No, probably not. Rules for thee, you know. But that's happening. Yeah. Like, but by, by the admission of Hunter Biden. And what's enter, what's entertaining is the best that the left is going to have to refute this is, well, he was mistaken. Oh, they, he was ha- mistaken. He he oh. he mistakenly said that he was renting from his father he mistakenly put his father's home as his address and said that he was renting or owned it 
And he mistakenly said that he was paying rent in the exact amount that a Chinese energy firm uh, was giving him monthly. It was all a mistake. Just a crazy, wild mistake. Just so weird how that happened. And that's exactly what they're going to say. Now, um, speaking of the classified documents, uh, CNN, in a uh, weird uh, instance of journalism, asked Dick Durbin, uh, Democrat, uh, to comment on things that seem to conflict in what he said about Donald Trump having classified documents versus what he said about uh, Joe Biden, or at least asking him whether or not he was going to be consistent. Uh, here is what Dick Durbin had to say. I want to play something that you said last year about the classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago resort. It's an outrage. It is a literal outrage for the president to take this important information down to his home in Florida and then store it in a closet with traffic people back and forth in his resort and golf course is an outrage. outrage. Is it also an outrage for the current president to have what appears to be multiple classified documents in multiple locations? At its heart, the issue is the same. Those documents should not have been in the personal possession of either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But what happened and followed from it is significantly different. Good morning. Ah, what happened oh, and different. followed from it are significantly different. How? Hmm. Well, <laughs> you see, they're going to say they're significantly different because as soon as Joe Biden realized that they were in possession of it, they reported it. Oh, that's what they're going to claim. Yeah. But he, he knew he had classified documents in his garage the whole time. No, no, like, no, you, no. He didn't. How do you no, How are you no that idea. senile? <laughs> he had no idea. Oh. He had zero idea. None at oh. all. There, that that is that is going to be the left's thing. Is he didn't know, and as soon as he found out, he told the proper authorities. Which, by the way, I, I I will explain to you that is not at all why he told anyone about this. I've already I've already me mentioned this on the show, and I've actually already seen this be used as a tactic. So I I mean I knew I was right when I said it, but now I can prove I'm right. The reason why they reported it is because then it gets. It becomes an investigation. Merrick Garland has um, Merrick Garland has named the special counsel to investigate it, and of course, there's you know all the fun personal and political connections among yep. all of the people involved. Uh, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I I should have looked. I should have looked further into it. But there's like there's something crazy about it. Like the guy who's the special counsel, I think is married to somebody who's in the FBI or something like that. And then they were, they were married by Merrick Garland. There's, anyway, the whole idea is it's all this glad handing and friendly business. We all know it. Um, I don't want to be super inaccurate about it, but of course there's all those relationships involved. Point is though, is, um, He's now named a special counsel who's going to be looking into this. And I'm sure it's going to take a very long time. It's going to take a very long time for the special counsel to look into this. And of course, Jim Jordan, who's heading up the uh, committee, um, the justice committee in the new House of Representatives, uh, has demanded an explanation. And 
Alan, I don't know if you remember what I've said about this, but what do you think the response uh, from the Department of Justice was to Jim Jordan when he requested information about this? Uh, that it was an active investigation. They couldn't comment. Yep. That's exactly it. The response that they gave to Jim Jordan is the uh, Department of Justice will not comment on ongoing investigations. How convenient. How convenient. Exactly. That's exactly why they did it, dummies. That's exactly why this became public and became an issue right after the midterms. When the Democrats realized that they were going to lose the House of Representatives, that is when they publicly reported all of this going on, and that is when the DOJ decided to put a special counsel in there so that Republican Congress would not be able to do any investigations whatsoever on Joe Biden, because they can say we cannot comment on an active investigation. That is why they did it. Yeah. No other reason. There's zero other reason. Anyone else, anyone who says otherwise is lying. Which is, again, it's very, how very convenient for them that they can just hide it and then, oh, active investigation. Yeah. I mean, they're all lawyers. <laughs> like, they know how it, this it's works. It's very much a rules for me, but not for thee, a rules for thee, but not for me kind of a situation. And I think none of us are necessarily surprised at that. It is, however, very enjoyable to bring this up to a bunch of liberals and say, okay, well, why is that different? Because I bet they don't give a very good answer. Like a lot, like, the answer of, well, you know, he just handled it differently. No, he didn't. No, no he didn't. And it uh, it forces people to recognize, like, you just hate Donald Trump or you're just a cheerleader for the Democrats. And people, I think, get very self-conscious when you point that out. It's, I mean, it's one of those, like, point out that they're just politically motivated hacks and look how they recoil. It's like, call them, call them anti-American, call them you know, communists, call them all these names, and it just runs off their back like water, but call them essentially amoral and dishonest and see how they shriek and recoil. Yeah. No, and, and but that's exactly it, is that's going to be the claim. Well, it's different. No, it's not. It's absolutely mm-hmm. not, and everyone knows it's not. It, everyone knows that this is, well, yeah, but like I want, uh, I want my political opponent to go to jail. I don't like I, I don't want the guy I voted for to go to jail. I want the other guy to go to jail. So I don't care. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's that simple. And if somebody were honest about it, if somebody literally said like, yeah, I don't actually care about classified documents. I don't care about that at all. I just want to see Donald Trump go to jail and I don't care how it's done. I'd be like, well, I can't debate that. Yeah. But at the same time, people would. No one's going to say that because they'll, they have to back it up and cloak it in this veneer of moral superiority. Well, right. That's like a requirement for liberalism is you have to pretend that you're morally superior and smarter. Exactly. So, which they're not. <laughs> which they're not. A bunch of dummies. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, uh, that Eric's pointing out here is that the, um, there, there was the, uh, SCOTUS leak investigation where they just could not figure out who was the source of the leak. Oh, then yeah. And I bet they never have. How convenient. Yeah. Uh, Of course they didn't. And it doesn't matter. It's funny because I've seen Democrats try to use it. Apparently the newest line of attack uh, that Democrats are using is to, we've, we've talked about this before is to try to go after the spouses 
of Supreme Court mm. justices, primarily mm. Ginny Thomas, who's, you know, um, Clarence Thomas's wife. For whatever reason, for one reason or another, the left really, really, really wants her investigated. They really, really, really want to go after her. And that's likely just to go after Clarence Thomas um, because he is actually a solid conservative vote. We know for a fact that John Roberts is a squish. And sometimes we've seen Gorsuch and uh, Coney Barrett uh, and Kavanaugh all kind of be a little squishy, but really not Clarence Thomas. And so maybe that's it. It's like, well, if we can get Ginny Thomas in the trunk of a car, we can convince Clarence Thomas to, you know, vote for something stupid. It feels like it's something like that. But at the end of the day, uh, that was the big thing is this came out where they interviewed Supreme Court justices. There was never any actual sworn statements taken. And a bunch of liberals were like, what about their spouses? What about Ginny Thomas? Because they're convinced that for whatever reason, the right wing leaked the Supreme Court decision. That doesn't make sense. Which makes zero sense. It makes zero sense strategically. What right wing person in is in the government that would leak that? <laughs> right. Where are, where are all of these constitutional right. stalwarts in our government? But it is the same. It's keeping with the entire thing that the left always does, which is accuse their enemies of what they themselves are guilty of. Right. Well, interesting you bring that up. That's a really good caveat. Um, or not caveat. That's a really interesting um, um, uh, other one word segue. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Atlanta because it's on yeah. fire. Um, here's what the Atlanta mayor said uh, regarding uh, what was transpiring yesterday in Atlanta. Many of them don't even live in Atlanta or in the state of Georgia. And they don't represent the voices of Atlanta. And to those, and some of them were found with explosives on them. Uh, you heard that correctly, explosives, and that has led to a, a police uh, officer's car being uh, set on fire and other destruction has occurred. And so make no mistake about it, these individuals meant harm to people and to property. Oh, so oh. they're a violent fifth column paramilitary organization that is attacking the enemies of the Democrat Party. Well, that's fine. Yes. Glad, Interesting. Glad we have that figured out. Now, for those of you who don't know what's going on in Atlanta, um, long, long story short, um, the Atlanta police were building a training facility and the uh, Antifa and other, I'm sure, BLM and other uh, dumb leftist anti-cop groups uh, decided that they were going to occupy the construction site of this training center that's being built. And so a police officer had to go in there, obviously to shoo all of these dumb commies out of the building. And one of these Antifa militants decided to shoot the officer in the stomach. The right. result of this action was that guy got killed. So, yeah, so, and I'm the militant, the militant got right, shot right. So by they, the cops and killed because he just shot a cop. Right. Because the, the cops were going to build a new police training center of, to do so they had to clear land. A bunch of environmental activists started getting all uppity because, oh, they're going to hurt the trees because Georgia is nothing but a giant coastal forest. So they can spare a few. Um, <laughs> seriously, Having like, I don't know there, if anybody's yeah. been to Georgia. I live, we, Beerline and I live there. And it's the, the, it, the whole thing is nothing but pine forest. 
It's like scrawny pine forest is the entirety of Georgia. So they had to clear some trees. A bunch of green green activists were like, oh, the, but the trees. And then that then of course got all of the people that hate police and all these Antifa folks came out in Atlanta. They like, oh, we hate the cops, so let's join on. And so they set up a little basically quote autonomous zone on the land that was going to be cleared by the construction crews to build a police training center. The police then said, well, you have to leave because the bulldozers are here to start construction. And in breaking up this squalid homeless camp of filth and degeneracy, somebody started, this guy shot a police officer in the stomach. He's currently in the ICU. The police responded with deadly force, killing that guy. And now Antifa said, we are going to march on Atlanta and burn it to the ground like the glorious Union Army of old. Yep. And the Democrat mayor is having, having a day. Yeah. Because, yeah. And so now I've already seen uh, leftists trying to make excuses where they're like, he said explosives, but it was really fireworks. Okay. That's true. Like, I, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like it when, when the news tries to, to bend. Maybe, maybe. Would would it surprise you if they also had like pipe bombs, like Pour some black powder in a pipe, put a fuse in the top, Molotov cocktails. I bet those would count as explosives too. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not a chance that they did. They probably did. But even if it were fireworks, let's just, let's just go with their line of thinking. Let's say, even if it was just fireworks, fireworks any, banned well, a lot of places because they're a fire hazard. It's like, sure. These things but, are but, not just benign. I love fireworks. I shoot them up all the time. But if I'm throwing them inside a building, which is what we saw video of in Atlanta, that changes the game a little bit. You're intentionally trying to cause serious damage and start fires by using fireworks in, in that way. But at the at the same time, I just simple question. If anyone during the January 6th protest lit fireworks off in the Capitol. Oh, it, they were trying to blow up the Capitol. This is yep. a terrorist attack. This is our democracy's never been more under threat, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it, so that's exactly it. Like, I don't care. Like, it, it, Try, try as best you can. Well, they were just fireworks. Yeah. If somebody had a Roman candle in their backpack on January 6th, you would probably um, have them on death row for terrorism. Oh, most certainly. So I like, I don't want to hear it. We, and this is, this is what I've been waiting for. I mean, I'm not shocked that we haven't seen a lot from BLM and Antifa um, after Joe Biden took office. Because Joe Biden took office. That was the entire point. The whole point of BLM and Antifa is to ensure that Democrats have power. Interesting that they come back out and rear their ugly heads suddenly now that there's a Republican Congress. You guys notice that? Are you noticing a pattern here? Are you noticing that when Democrats seem to lose control somewhere, all of a sudden their paramilitary organizations start marching in the streets again? And then they seem to just disappear off the face of the earth unless they can go harass a few right-wingers here and there. But Atlanta, they're attacking Atlanta and setting a police cruiser on fire. And of course, we're hearing news media to include Fox say dumb things like mostly peaceful as there's a police cruiser on fire behind them. But at the same time, why is this happening again? Where have they been? It's not like there hasn't been other instances like this occurring throughout the country. Absolutely not. It's because Republicans just took the House. Yeah. Like, understand the the Republican Congress just got seated. I think it was yesterday. I think it was the 21st, but Hmm. 
I might be wrong. It might be next week. It's always around January 20 something um, that the new Congress gets sworn in. So this just happened. Then all of a sudden Antifa decides to have a riot. No one else finds that suspicious. I find it a tad bit suspicious. Because there, there's, I mean, there have been black people shot by police since Joe Biden's been in office. Yeah. There have absolutely been situations. I mean, all the abortion stuff, right? Where was Antifa for that? How come there wasn't Antifa? I mean, there was a little bit outside of like a Supreme Court justices' homes. So we did see some of that, sure. And of course, the assassination attempts by Democrat activists. So we saw a little bit of it, but where was like all the city violence? And, you know, I mean, literally, like it, it doesn't it, doesn't anyone find it odd I certainly that do. we didn't see widespread city violence when Roe v. Wade basically got repealed? Shouldn't there have been a bunch of black clad communists marching in the streets and burning cities down in the outrage of people's rights being taken away? I mean, George Floyd was a fentanyl addict who died in the custody of while, while being restrained on the ground by police. It should have been a much bigger deal that you can't kill babies now. That affects every single person's rights. I mean, the women in this country are being thrown back into the handmaid's tail because they can't kill their babies. Right. You know, American freedom has never been more under threat because people can't kill babies. Right. How how terrible. Yeah. So I... I find it interesting where, where was Antifa for all that? Well, they weren't deployed because it would have been bad for the Democrats too close to the midterms. Can't have a bunch of Antifa violence too close to the midterms because it might affect how people vote. People might vote against the Democrats. You don't want that. Well, I think this is a um, reflection of, the 2020 riots. Remember those when Black Lives Matter activists and Antifa folks stage riots almost in every major city, causing billions in property damage and killing dozens of people all across the summer of 2020 in I what do. is probably the biggest episode of civil unrest in, in recent American history. And that was just allowed to happen and swept under the rug. And everybody involved was given minimum jail sentences, if not just totally let go. Because I remember and, when that and happened. bailed out by the vice president. And bailed out by the vice president, who's and it just absolutely nonsense. This is a continuation of that. But those that that summer of 2020 is what prompted it had a reaction. Gun sales went through the roof when people saw that and thought, oh, boy, like there might be episodes of lawlessness coming. That was extremely unpopular with a lot of people, people Mm -hmm. that have been Democrats their whole lives were very unsettled by the summer of rage in 2020. Now that, and which is why the Democrats try to sweep it under the rug as much as they can. But the thing is, I think they still see, I don't know who controls Antifa. Maybe they they aren't controlled. Maybe they've gotten uh, kind of outside the box, but they, I think that they are, they are being deployed by someone that is like there is a sort of war in the Democrat Party. And I think mm. a lot of Democrat Party wants Antifa to go away and wants to sweep all of this under the rug. But then I'm sure there's people that see the value of having your own goon squad of paramilitaries that can go be violent against your political opposition. So I think that and they're just playing those two off against each other. 
Yeah. No, I, I, and I, I think it's absolutely coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to find out what uh, Brian Kemp plans to do about this. I mean, he's supposedly some great Republican that lets an entire election be stolen out from underneath his feet. But, you know, that's fine. Um, fascinated absolutely. to see how he's going to react to this. I mean, if it even continues, I don't know. It might, it might have already died down by now. I'm, I haven't really checked the news on it this morning because uh, I was gathering the information on what was actually going on uh, yesterday. But if this continues, what's Brian Kemp going to do? Is he going to deploy the National Guard? Is he going to do anything? Or is he going to be too afraid of being called a racist? Pro- I'm going to guess too afraid of being called a racist. Yeah. I mean, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to anger people like Bill Crystal, who's funded by, you know, the liberal Pierre Omidyar who owns eBay. Um, you know, he doesn't want to anger those people. So Pierre huh. <laughs> what an interesting name. Yeah. That's, that's who funded the uh, bulwark, the big never Trump site. Mm. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, there was something else before we get into our fun daily wire story that I really want to dive into, but there was something else um, that I'm trying to think of uh, that we haven't, covered yet but for the life of me alan i can't remember oh that's right if you don't mind alan i'm gonna take a second and jump off the mic but could you explain what's going on with tanks oh involving you love to thank you so there is a big big issue in nato right now about supplying tanks to ukraine uh ukraine is as we have seen is getting continuously getting equipment blown to smithereens by the russians um, granted, sure, they can be killing Russians at the same time, but it is in it is absolutely a fact that Ukraine is losing armored vehicles at a very high rate, just like Ukraine is expending weapons and ammunition and especially smart weapons at a very high rate. So Ukraine needs armored vehicles, specifically really good tanks, because in modern warfare, highly survivable, basically top tier tanks are basically the only way you can do you can advance on enemy positions because weapons have gotten so good only the most advanced survivable tanks are capable of operating in that environment um, especially especially if you are um, attacking an enemy position that's the most dangerous thing you can do anymore and that requires the best possible tanks best optics best armor they want tanks a bunch of European countries like Poland for example, really wants to supply them with advanced tanks. Here's a problem. The vast majority of European countries operate the German Leopard 2 tank. The German Leopard 2 tank is one of the best tanks in the world, and it is used by all of these militaries under license from Germany, who is the originator of the design. None of these other countries of Europe are allowed by those license agreements to give the technology or give the tanks to foreign countries unless Germany says yes. Germany, however, right now, all these countries want to give Leopard 2 main battle tanks to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians would love to take them. But Germany is basically saying, no, you cannot give Leopard 2 main battle tanks to the Ukrainians unless America agrees to supply an equal... I don't know if it may be the equal number, but unless America agrees to supply Abrams tanks to the Ukrainians as well, which America said, no, we're not supplying top of the line Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And Germany says, well, well, then we're not going to allow anyone to supply Leopard tanks. 
one of the major problems things about this is America has lots and lots and lots of Abrams tanks. We hit the limit and the army said, we don't want any more new Abrams tanks. And Congress said, uh, too many people work, too many people in a couple districts work in the factories that make Abrams tanks. The U.S. Army is going to keep buying brand new tanks and surplusing older tanks that might only be a few years old. So right now, the United States is flush with Abrams tanks. It's like the ones in the army are pretty much brand new, or a lot of them are new. They keep getting new, have to, they, by Congress, they said you have to keep taking new deliveries of brand new tanks, surplusing old ones. National Guard units across the country are full of top-of-the-line Abrams tanks. We have a huge fleet. What the United States, basically what the Germans are afraid of, because German industry has become so degraded by this point, they will not be able to re if suddenly all of these European countries give their Leopard 2 tanks to the Ukraine, they will then say, well, we want to buy new tanks from Germany to replace these. Germany will can produce something like 14 tanks a year or something ridiculously low like that because German industry has been intentionally gutted. Germany then was now worried they can produce spare parts for these tanks, they can keep them in service, but if all these countries get rid of them, Germany won't be able to resupply them with new tanks, and America will be able to resupply all of these countries with Abrams tanks. So this is really nothing to do with Ukraine, it's to do with arms sales. Germany has all of these countries in Europe owning its tanks, paying Germany for the licensing, for spare parts, for a couple replacement tanks every year. If those tanks go away, America has said, I don't know, has basically said, well, we'll swoop it, sweep in and we'll arm all of these European countries with American tanks. So essentially, it's a political fight between Germany and the United States over what country gets to benefit from European arms sales. And as a result, Ukraine is not getting its most desperately needed tanks. The, one of the problems with this is you have like crazy countries like Poland that are floating the idea of just abandoning the licensing agreements and just giving all their Leopard tanks to Ukraine because they're so sorely needed, which puts us in very weird territory where we have just decided Ukraine is now worth destroying these long-standing agreements and these relationships that will be impossible to rebuild. It's like once, the, once these relationships have been sullied and gone, then you just can't rebuild that trust and level of cooperation again. And we're just doing this for Ukraine. Why is Ukraine this valuable? In addition, we recently signed a $2.5 billion arms sale again to Ukraine. And as part of this, Ukraine, the Pentagon is taking um, U.S. stockpiles no longer inside the United States, but overseas stockpiles and sending them to Ukraine. Uh, the, United, the Pentagon maintains a massive am, uh, artillery and weapons stockpile in Israel ostensibly as Israel's a uh, friendly allied country, and that would allow the Pentagon, in case of dire need of a war against, say, Iran or in the Middle East, it's a giant port, it's a giant arms storage facility in Israel. And the Pentagon is planning to t use that as a store to send those stores of equipment to the Ukraine, which would then possibly leave both Israel and U.S. troops all in Saudi Arabia and a bunch of places without this backup buffer of weapons in case there's another war there. And it doesn't stop at that. The Pentagon has also announced this week that it is asking 
military units in South Korea to send a bunch of their strikers and other equipment to Ukraine, which the entire point of those units in South Korea is that they are a buffer against an invasion by North Korea. And so basically, the United States is degrading our ability, our military capabilities worldwide by sending all of our valuable equipment that our own industry is struggling very hard to replace because just like Germany, our industry has almost been entirely offshored. So we are trying, we are sending almost irreplaceable equipment stockpiles to get burned up in the fire of Ukraine. And for what? I mean, that's my big question. Why is it so important? Is it it so important because they're too arrogant to just say, well, Ukraine just has to lose this one. I don't know. It, it may seem illogical to you <clears throat> when you when you look at it from the standpoint of this is complete insanity and Ukraine, you know, doesn't really have a chance uh, in a prolonged and protracted war, a war of attrition. Like Ukraine just really doesn't have the chance if that were the goal. You see, you think that the goal of all of this is like Ukraine victory. But what if the goal of all of this is just to replace the uh, giant deficit created by the end of the uh, Afghan war? I think that's very likely. I mean, that makes the most sense. It makes the most sense that all of this money, you know, it was a billion dollars a day going into Afghanistan. Well, now it's going into Ukraine, but nobody's losing money. And especially uh, the people not losing the money would be the former employers of the Secretary of Defense, Raytheon. Hmm. I mean, he was a member of the board. They had to get special dispensation just to hire the guy or just just to bring him on as the secretary of defense. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I think like we're being run by people that are not operating with America's best interests at heart. And I, I will say once again, I'll, I'll, I'll make the comment that I made at the beginning of the program. I'm so old that I can remember when a international an international war being prosecuted by the United States was merely just a way to line the pockets of the fat cat defense contractors. I'm so old. I remember when liberals were so angry over how much money the defense contractors and the defense industry were making off of a war, an unjust and unnecessary war that wasn't furthering any interest in the United States. Old enough that I can remember that. Now they're all about Ukraine. Because CNN changed its opinion. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Uh, and that, that is absolutely the most nonsense part about this is that all of the, is, it's, it's disheartening in a way because all of these liberals essentially are just flipped because the news told them to. It's mm-hmm. like they never had principles. They never stood against things. It makes me wonder about all their issue with Donald Trump. Was that, were those real? The amount of energy and sincerity they put behind all the things they supposedly hate mm-hmm. and seeing that that can just flip on a whim. It, it makes you lose a lot of respect for a lot of the people around you. Yeah. No, like when, when you really, it is really sad. I mean, I, I don't want to be dismissive of that. It is really sad when you realize that like maybe somebody you respected where you were just like, Oh my God, your opinion is just whatever they say on the news. Damn it. Like I thought you actually like 
looked into this. I thought you researched this. I thought that you like had some sort of method of studying it or knowledge base or no, you literally just repeat what you heard on NPR. Like you will hold the opposite belief by a, by week. You yeah. could believe one thing one week and then the complete opposite the next week, as long as NPR told you to, Oh my God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I, I know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people that just magically like shill for things that they used to hate, um, you know, like shoot themselves in the foot, uh, you know, argue against their own best interests. It's insanity, but here we are. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm not shocked. Liberals are dumb and easily tricked. They're sheep. They do whatever late night comedians tell them to. It's honestly very sad and i think mostly they know I, I i get the feeling most liberals know that things are not the way they should be know that they know that they know that something's amiss but it's almost more of just a moral cowardice to act actually identify it or they it's, hope it's, it... the, em the emperor wears no clothes everybody knows the emperor wears no clothes but liberals in america are so desperate to cling to the, what gives them this moral authority that they will that they will lie to themselves say no no the emperor is wearing an amazing garment and because I'm one of the smart people that can see it yeah as long as as long as they think that they'll be told how intelligent they are they will 100% lie about it yeah like if they think if they think that the elites will tell them um that they are so super smart, they they will they will say they will say whatever it takes as long as they're able to have the elites pat them on the head and say that they're very super smart. Exactly. So, um, speaking of pats on the head from liberal elites, there was a there. This is an interesting story, and I don't want to get mired in the minutia of it because it it truly doesn't matter. But I want to give everyone the background. Um, so there's a, for those of you who probably know, there's a podcaster and YouTube host, his name's Steven Crowder. He has the show louder with Crowder and he used to be hosted on the blaze network, which is the network that's owned by Glenn Beck. Um, but that contract ended up, um, they ended up not renewing the terms of their contract. It was as far as I can tell amicable. And, um, he basically Steven Crowder was kind of back on the open market and was looking for a new home for his program and all of it in his audience. And earlier this week, he shared a contract that was redacted, did not reveal the identity of who gave him the contract, but he revealed a contract that had the term had terms in it, um, that he didn't like. And so he decided he was going to do a video and discuss it. Now I know some people don't like the idea of, you know, a private business dispute amongst another conservative outlet is kind of, you know, punching right or whatever you want. But the terms of the contract were somewhat interesting. Well, it turns out that the people who offered the contract was the Daily Wire by their own admission. The Daily, the Daily Wire co-CEO, Jeremy Boring, came out and basically did a rebuttal video about Steven Crowder's complaints, revealing things, uh, re revealing additional things such as how much they offered to pay him. Um, 
and painted this picture that Steven Crowder is a prima donna who just wanted a bunch more money, even though he was getting all sorts of other money. Uh, for instance, Jeremy Boring revealed that the contract offer to Steven Crowder was $55 million oh my. for, I believe, a three-year period. So a lot of that was Daily Wire's way of going, look at all the money that this guy's being offered. Don't let him pretend like he's an everyman. He's a you know freaking millionaire, and he wanted something like $109 million and blah, 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 whatever. Fine, right? So sounds like a contract dispute. Mm-hmm. Or in reality... Steven Crowder refused to take the contract. Daily Wire could have just kept its mouth shut and not had it revealed that it was them because Crowder wasn't revealing who it was. But Crowder did use this as a predicate to uh, put up a website of stopbigcon.com. And there were some discussions on Tim Pool's podcast about that. Like he had registered the uh, domain name on like the 22nd of December. And now this stuff's coming out. And it all kind of doesn't matter because people are kind of getting mired in the are you on Team Crowder or are you on Team Shapiro? Because, you know, Ben Shapiro is the co CEO of the Daily Wire. He basically runs the entire outfit. But I do want to share a couple of interesting points I found amidst all of these arguments and dumb things. And it doesn't matter. I'm not necessarily on a team. I don't like Ben Shapiro. I'll start right there. I do not like Ben Shapiro. And I can give some of my reasons in a second on why I do not like him and have not liked him for a while. I'm pretty okay with Crowder. He's a little annoying sometimes and kind of milk toast in my opinion. That's all fine. I don't care if you like either person. There are some interesting things that should be addressed, regardless of if you think Crowder's right or Shapiro's right or whatever. One of the things, one of the main points that was made by Steven Crowder in his video when he was showing part of the contract, and I think every conservative should be concerned by this term, and that is the Daily Wire has it in their contracts with their hosts that, of course, you're going to be paid this amount of money for doing this many shows and this many things. Totally fine, perfectly normal. In the event that you receive a community guidelines strike on YouTube, or you are banned, or you're banned on social media, you are going to be financially liable and you will lose some of your money. They, they will, the daily wire will take how much they, they will take a cut off of how much they pay you. If you receive a strike, if you get banned somewhere on social media, and if you get boycotted by an advertiser, they will take Mm. your money away. They will remove some of it, not all of it, but they, they call it a fee. There's a, there's a fee that has to be paid. And those are stipulated. Now, I've seen a lot of people on a business side say, well, you know, that's how they make their money. They make their money off advertising revenue from things like YouTube. Uh, there's also the marketing revenue that's generated and the attention and, and all of that that's that's generated from being able to put your content out, right? Like you lose Twitter, that's a whole bunch of people that aren't going to be able to watch your clips, your show, generate interest by, by a subscription. This makes total sense from a business standpoint, of course. It is don't put yourself at risk of being able to lose uh, growing your audience share. We put a bunch of money into creating content and marketing material that we want you to be able to put out. So if you put yourself in a position that limits that, that is bad. That all makes perfect sense from a business standpoint, except for one 
very solid fact. Hmm. What business is the Daily Wire involved in by their own statement? The culture war to save America. The culture war to save America. The Daily Wire is a media company. Yeah, of course. They put out podcasts, they put out videos, they put out content, they put out a movie recently. They have their own like little movie studio that they're doing. Absolutely. But what is the fundamental thing that the Daily Wire claims it stands up for? Freedom of speech, fighting the culture war, fighting back against the left. And fighting cancel culture. That is one of their biggest marketing materials that they put out regularly is fighting cancel culture. Ben Shapiro regularly complains about getting blocked, trying to go give speeches for like young Americans for freedom or whatever on college campuses. He routinely complains about things like that, about the left boycotting his ability to go speak. This yeah. is... If if you were to take them at their word, then they are enraged over the fact that the left continually attempts, makes attempts to shut up conservative voices. They regularly on all of their programs throughout their entire platform talk about the fact that social media and big tech is trying to censor conservative voices, unfairly try to censor them and unfairly try to affect politics on a regular basis by censoring conservative voices. Yet when the rubber actually meets the road, and when it actually matters and behind closed doors, every single one of the Daily Wire's hosts has to self-censor so as not to anger the skittle hairs over at YouTube and get banned. You are financially punished mm -hmm. by the Daily Wire if a shit lib at YouTube gets mad at your video. Which they should be doing all the time. Yeah. Well, think about it. There are legions of people out there that would want nothing more than to see Ben Shapiro taken off of YouTube. I'm yeah. sure they are out there flagging his videos, asking YouTube to strike the videos, looking for anything in any video put up by the Daily Wire that's objectionable enough that they can get either strikes on those videos or anything, demonetizing mm -hmm. them. There's entire legions of people that are probably contacting the advertisers of Ben Shapiro, demanding that they take down their advertising. So well, why well, is it actually Ben Shapiro on, and the Daily Wire getting mm -hmm. constantly hit by this? Well, so that is, that that's a question that we've asked on this program before. There are certain conservative groups that never seem to face social media censorship. The Daily Wire was one of them. We brought mm -hmm. up that Ben Shapiro almost never seems to have any issue on social media. Now, yep. from, from a business standpoint, this is how you would do this. And I just, you know, I'll, I'll ask the question and feel free to drop it in the comments. Um, do how, how do you feel about this when I spell it out? You decide that you're going to start a media company. You decide that one of your revenue streams is going to be YouTube. You know, you're going to post videos on YouTube, the, those videos have ads on them, and therefore, which by the way, uh, I, I know I mentioned this on the program when it was happening uh, months and months ago, I kept seeing YouTube uh, ads for the Daily Wire for What is a Woman, mm -hmm. which was Matt Walsh's uh, movie that was produced by the Daily Wire. 
totally fine. I have no, no necessarily no issue. I thought it was hilarious that YouTube was allowing the ads. Think about that for a second. I was shocked that YouTube was allowing the ads for a, uh, for, for a movie that basically is all about how transgenderism is bullshit. That seems a little odd. It's, it certainly seems odd. And I thought, well, maybe this just slipped past them. Or if you want to put something like this in a contract and you don't ever want to have any sort of legal problems with it, with one of your hosts or somebody who gets upset, well, what you do is you basically have an ongoing relationship with the trust and safety people over at YouTube or wherever, and you regularly meet, you get their guidelines, you understand those guidelines, you then disseminate those guidelines to your hosts, and you say, here are your left and right limits. If you violate, if you don't violate these left and right limits and something bad happens, our legal department will immediately go to YouTube and say, shame on you. We obeyed your rules and then everything will be fine. But if you go outside of these left and right limits, then we have to financially punish you by taking part of what, you know, we say you are owed for your content. That's the only way legally that you would be able to do that and not be exposed to being, uh, having a lawsuit. Right. So essentially what this, this, essentially what this says is the daily wire is working with YouTube to make sure that it, that nobody, the daily wire says anything that the left disagrees with. It's like they, yeah. the, the, they, they probably have an agreement. This is like, hey, uh, we're going to operate. We, we are opposition to you guys politically, but just let us know how far we can stray away and what we can say so that we can stay in business and uh, but not actually be that objectionable. So everything that comes out of the Daily Wire is curated essentially by YouTube. The Daily Wire is self-censoring the message that they are giving to their audience. And that message is not objectionable to YouTube, mm-hmm. not objectionable to the left-leaning tech companies, not objectionable to the to any of their advertisers. It is a very safe message, which means that I can now be almost as certain that I will never hear anything of real serious value from the Daily Wire. Because I can't. Because anything that would be actually threatening to the left, any idea, any call to action, any anything, any take on a subject that is actually a threat to the power of the left, that actually would help us take back this country, cannot come from the Daily Wire because they are working in cahoots with the enemy to make sure that they stay in business. They value money more than they value actually being an outlet for resistance against the left. Now, they're not, that might be too hard, quite harsh. And I don't necessarily mean it maybe as harsh as that came up, came across, but it means that everything the Daily Wire presents, I need to be skeptical of, I need to be remembering that everything that comes from them is okayed by the liberals at YouTube. It's part, even, even if it's not, let's say, or, or whatever, it's part of their business model. Every single host at the daily wire obviously wants to be paid the maximum amount of money that they are guaranteed in their contract who does not want to get their full paycheck right doesn't matter how much it is we don't need to debate millions and this and that doesn't matter everybody who is there wants to get paid the maximum amount that that they that they are owed as part of their contract yeah. 
Well, that immediately means that uh, absolutely zero <laughs> of the hosts at the Daily Wire are going to say or do something that could potentially conflict with them getting paid. They're not going to say yeah. something that could result in an advertiser boycotting them. They're not going to say anything that could result in somebody over at YouTube banning their video. Or if they do, they have to look at it and go, okay, am I willing to lose $100,000 to have this opinion, to say this thing? Well, and to be and honest- what happens, what happens when pressure comes from the other side? Hey, Daily Wire, we are going to start flagging your videos unless you denounce this movement, unless you denounce oh, this yeah. thing. You're, if you don't have this take, on the say January sixth, if you don't, de if you say anything nice about the January sixth people, if you say anything that is not, it is a, if you do not, if you say anything other than January sixth was a threat to our democracy, then our deal is off. How does yeah. the Daily Wire respond? They go, mm, we want to stay in business, so okay, we'll play by your rules. Yeah, that's. I, at least I don't have the faith that they would sacrifice their income to oppose that. They're already proving that they wouldn't because they're telling their hosts in these contracts that they can't. Yeah. And that they won't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if, even if there's nuance there, even if it's like, well, if you say something that's obviously not objectionable and you get banned, we're going to go fight for you. But what that means is that that host has to basically be like, Hey, I just got demonetized on YouTube and I don't want to lose you know, such this amount of money, what do I do? And they go, well, what did you say? Well, I said this and this and this and this. We'll have to look into it and see whether or not it's worth legal fighting for. Then we'll decide right. whether or not you still get to make your money. I'd be interested because I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but I know that Harry's Razors was a big sponsor of the Daily Wire. And then either they boycotted being a sponsor of the Daily Wire. I thought that that's how it went down, but it's entirely possible. Maybe the Daily Wire just said, screw it. We're not going to have them as a sponsor. I don't sure. remember, but let's pretend that they did get boycotted. That was one of the other things in the contract. So did people at the Daily Wire, did Ben Shapiro lose money because they were boycotted by Harry's Razors? Because Jeremy Boring decided to start his own razor company. As like a, you know, it was, it was kind of a fun thing, right? He was like, oh, fine. I'll just make my own damn razors. Ha ha. Even though I have a beard and they had a really fun commercial that they made, you know, based on it. But did somebody lose money? Cause in your contract, it said that they would, but I'm sure Ben Shapiro didn't lose any money when Harry razor, Harry's razors went away. I'm sure he didn't punish himself. Yeah. I would be very surprised. So, but mostly, I guess at the end of the day, what this proves is that there are groups like the Daily Wire, and we have to be suspicious of what they say because they are playing along with the left in order to maintain their business. Like part of their business model is playing with the left, is playing yeah. inside the left's rules. Yeah, I just, if you like what you hear, I'm not telling you not to listen to them. I don't give a damn. I don't think starting a war and starting factions, I don't care if you want to listen to right. Ben Shapiro or, or, uh, you know, any of those others, 
uh, fine. That's that's yeah, that's and all. They might, and they fine. might have plenty of good things to say about a lot of subjects, but know that there is intentionally going to always be this blind spot of mm-hmm. subjects they can't cover in the proper way because the left, because their masters at YouTube would get angry. Yeah, just yeah, just understand that part of their business model is to remain active on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it, to remain remaining active on YouTube is more important to them than than informing their audience about what's actually going on. I mean, if YouTube says, uh, you know, like, well, think about the whole problem with vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. If there was, could the Daily Wire? actually oppose vaccine mandates or would that oppose some youtube policy what if youtube changes their rules what what happens then what happens when youtube changes their rules to say that uh if you are pro donald trump let's say donald trump runs again or let's say even desantis runs let's say the next presidential election occurs and uh youtube changes their rules say any uh acknowledgement of support for this candidate will be viewed as white supremacy and your channel will be banned Mm-hmm. Does the Daily Wire suddenly become anti-DeSantis if that's the case? Yeah, Do they I, have I, to? I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I, it's, and so I guess that's my question. That That's my final, my annoyance with this. And my question is, I now have to wonder about every take of the, every position the daily, people the Daily Wire take. Are they taking that stance because it is what they legitimately believe? Or because that is the only stance allowed to them by their masters at YouTube. Right. And I just, I mean, like, like I said, is I was honestly, um, and Alan can attest to this. I was way more invested in this than he thought was necessary. Um, I was just legitimately shocked. And maybe that, maybe it's my own ignorance. Maybe I should have known better. Cause like I said, I'm, I was not a fan of, um, uh, YouTube or, or not YouTube. I'm sorry, the daily wire or anything like that. But I was legitimately shocked that that would be in a contract because it, it seems like who the hell would even sign that? Like, yeah, wait, you're saying that if I get, you're saying if I get banned from YouTube, I lose a bunch of money and it's like, well, yeah. And it's like, Dude, don't, isn't that like what we talk about all the time is how like shitty big tech is and how they mistreat us and how they're like looking for an excuse to hurt us and come after us? Like, how does that even work? And it's not shocking in the slightest to see somebody like Steven Crowder, who part of the reason why he's such a big voice is because he's one of the only content creators that actually went out and started suing these people. Right. He has a regular retainer with an attorney who comes onto his program because they are wrapped up in legal battles with places like YouTube. And they were like, oh, it would have been, let's, let's just be honest here. Regardless of how you feel about how Steven Crowder handled this or your own personal opinion, this is completely damaging to Steven Crowder's entire brand, his entire identity was literally being one of the only people that was fighting a lot of this censorship. That was the whole like driving force between his like mug club deal was I'm going to do an extra hour of a program that is specifically off of YouTube. So we can say the stuff that YouTube would like 
censor us for and demonetize us for and go after us for. I'm going to specifically have a segment where I annotate every single day on my program that YouTube will censor stuff. But he's acknowledged, he said, I would love it if I never had to post on YouTube ever again and could use something like Rumble. But so many of you watch us on YouTube. Well, yeah. I mean, YouTube is just, is is a great forum. The it, Mostly it's just, it's annoying that we even have to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, 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 I would, I'm much more likely to view Steven Crowder in a positive light because he's antagonistic to the left than the Daily Wire, which seems to be, to prioritize going along with them. It's like, how can Ben Shapiro make claim that he is a, he is a credible voice of opposition against the left-wing takeover of the United States if his company is penalizing any of its employees that says anything too objectionable about the liberal takeover of the United States. Right. It's like, I just can't take that seriously. Well, and this is interesting. I can't take it seriously, and it's insulting that he claims it. You had some interesting thoughts that I hadn't considered, and we'll do this as kind of some last discussion point of the program here, was you're actually, um, and this feels similar, um, you you brought up that you were upset over the fact that Elon Musk has given Donald Trump access into his Twitter account, but Trump is not posting on Twitter. Yes. And so just, just give a little background on that, because I do find it interesting. It was something I hadn't really thought of, but I definitely liked the take that you were having on it. And it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think our audience, I think our audience needs to frame things in this because um, there is going, going to be a come to Jesus moment on this subject soon. Okay. So one of the things I was, I was cued into this the other day, and it was basically that Donald Trump started Truth Social. And Elon Musk has unlocked his Twitter account, but Donald Trump has not returned to Twitter. He's staying on Truth Social. And I didn't think much of that. I thought, well, yeah, it's his like his thing, and of course he's staying on Truth Social. And the commentary I, I heard was someone saying, well, yeah, because, you know, he can't. It's like either Trump has signed an agreement that with Truth Social that he will, that it will be his exclusive uh, platform, or Trump is essentially um, choosing to make it his exclusive platform. But either way, the the end result is Truth Social is the exclusive platform of Donald Trump, and I think a big part of that is because if Donald Trump is reelected, everyone that works for Truth Social is going to make a giant pile of money. Okay. And I think that's a, that's their game plan. The game plan of True Social is nobody's on True Social right now because why the heck would you be? The only reason to be on True Social is to follow Donald Trump. And if he does get reelected, millions of people will suddenly sign up for True Social and everybody at True Social makes a billion makes a huge pile of money. Okay. And that to me is the reason why staying <laughs> off it. And I don't know why that that bugs me. It bugs me because it is a business decision at a time when I feel we're trying to save the country. It's the same thing I feel about the Daily Wire. All of these people will tell me, 
America's under threat by the liberals. America's under threat by the left. They're trying to destroy freedom of speech. They're trying to take away your guns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then their actions are, well, I'm just trying to slice out a piece of the pie so I can make as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, but if you were Donald Trump and you say wanted to, like, would that hurt his reelection chances? Maybe. And then he doesn't get reelected. Like, if I'm supposed to believe that he's going to, you know, save us from the left or do something really valuable like that, then he should be putting his own personal business decisions last. And I just don't have the faith anymore that any of these people will put their businesses last rather than because that might mean that we'll restrict their supply of lollipops and fancy pants. So, so what, what you're basically saying here is you don't think he's serious about this candidacy for 2024, because if he were, he'd be trying to get his message out on every platform possible. That's my worry. Like, it's hard to say this, say these things with any serious degree of certainty, but that is my worry. My worry is that my worry is that Trump would essentially be sac willing to sacrifice his his bid for presidency in order to potentially make a bunch of money off Truth Social. And I don't know. I guess I, anymore, I don't know where he sits. I don't know where any of these people sit, and that's what makes me just nervous is if that if that was the case i'd like to know mm -hmm. no i mean he has the ability to, of getting a message out to a far larger audience like let's just be honest yeah. true social is not that great none of these none of these alternative platforms are really any good if they were then we wouldn't be having an issue trying to find one we wouldn't still be on twitter like you know or right. whatever it's just the, the that's the fact of the market. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. That's the fact of the market. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same point, if he actually was serious about running for president in 2024, then he should be trying to get his, his message getting out to the majority of Americans as much as possible should be the most important facet of it. Not, oh, well, I'll, I'll get my message out, but if you want to read it, you've got to sign up for my truth social business. That means that you're more focused on getting people to sign up for your dumb social media company than you are about actually becoming the president of the United States and representing the people. It is that thought process, or at least the appearance thereof, is divergent, mm -hmm. is divergent from what we are told someone like Donald Trump stands for. And for I like for people who want to get upset about it and, and don't like any criticisms of Trump. I, it's it's a very simple question. Would it hurt him at all if he went onto Twitter and got banned again? No, that wouldn't hurt him at all, whatsoever. But yeah, we're not hearing what he says. We're just hearing it. We're hearing it filtered through everyone else. Like, yeah, can I go get a Truth Social account? Yeah, we have one. We don't post on it because it sucks. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no traction there. Maybe that's just us. Perhaps other people have far better experiences. Fine. But to be fair, I also have to aggregate news. I need something that's going to give me adequate and accurate information. I have a lot of different news sources. One of them is Twitter. It's a very powerful one. And it's not mm -hmm. going to go anywhere unless a competitor can absolutely mimic what's there. And part of mimicking that is a massive audience. And you don't get that by being the, if you're right wing and like Trump, come join social program. Mm 
that's not any good. That's just right. a bunch of people agreeing with each other. And to be fair, what happens a lot of times on these platforms is it's a bunch of content creators trying to sell their crap to everybody. And so it's like a room full of salesmen trying to sell to other salesmen. Right, right. But doesn't matter. The point is, is if he is serious, he's going to have to, he has to choose between truth, social, or the presidency. At the end of the day, that's how it's going to go. You're either going to be part owner or what the hell ever of a social media company run by Jason Chaffetz, or you're going to be the president of the United States, but you're going to have to pick one. And if you want us to take you serious, then you're going to have to stop playing around at social media nonsense and get out to where other people can actually hear what you have to say. Otherwise you look like an idiot <laughs> and that's yeah. fine. You know, like I guess no hard feelings, just I'm not going to take you seriously and I shouldn't and neither should anyone else. And that comes down to the fundamental thing in the last part of the program that everyone needs to remember, whether it's Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, or who the hell ever, because apparently, uh, uh, oh shoot, what's her name? Nikki Haley is also considering a 2024 bid, which would just be absolutely hilarious. Um, wow. Good morning. Oh, I'm Sunday sorry. morning. Don't, Don't worry about that. that. Hold on. Um, but Nikki Nikki Haley is also running, which is just garbage. But point is, every single one of those candidates needs to earn your vote. You do not owe a vote to anyone, nor should you listen to anybody who suggests you owe someone your vote. You don't right. owe anyone your vote. It is the job of those people to earn it. Same thing. Donald Trump has to earn my vote. So does Ron DeSantis. I will give you guys one. We just gave you a stipulation on Donald Trump, you know, showing that he's at least serious about his candidacy and wants to earn our vote. I'll give you a stipulation for Ron DeSantis as well. I would love to hear Ron DeSantis's views on January 6th. Yeah. I would like to see him defend the people that are still in the January 6th gulag. That's something Trump hasn't really done. Trump hasn't done anything to get those people out of jail. At a minimum, I would love to see Ron DeSantis extradite anyone in D.C. jail right now that's a Florida resident and say that I am taking my citizens back because they are being mistreated by the federal government. I don't know if he'd be willing to take that political risk, and I will acknowledge that that is a large political risk. Sure, it absolutely is. Yeah, I'd love to but, see it. Uh, it's one that that couldn't, I don't think that could backfire. I just don't think it could. I think if yeah. any state governor, oh, I think if I'm, any sorry, GOP politician, any GOP politician started v vigorously defending the people that are have been just abused by the justice system over January 6th, I don't think that how... I can't imagine that ends badly for them. Oh no, their political entities can say, this guy supports this insurgency. Okay, yeah, but your political enemies are gonna not vote, aren't gonna vote for you ever anyways. So way, why I try to placate them? But you, all of your GOP voters, how many GOP voters will see that and go, yeah, I can't take, I can't vote for this person because they support January, the, you know, they supported the January 6th people. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see that as very likely. Uh, real quick correction. Thanks, Eric. Um, I accidentally said uh, uh, Jason Chaffetz. It's actually Devin Nunez. I don't know why I said oh, Jason Chaffetz. Oh, okay. Devin Nunez. Devin Nunez yeah. is the CEO of... Uh, Neat. Um, yeah. 
and and as uh, as Richardson Judo on our chat is saying is like Trump has done a great disservice to the January six prisoners. Yes, yeah, somebody that's a huge gap that somebody could absolutely uh, fill. But that's going to have to be us uh, for for now. Um, so feel free to tune in next week, Sunday at noon Eastern and go to subscribestar.com forward slash Ron Pink Radio for $2.99 a month. You can support this program. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week.